Podcast is about taking media action, find the problem, fix the problem. This is your opportunity. It's either a hell yes or a fuck no. It's that simple. <laughs> now is the time to take action. Now is the time to do more and be more. All right, welcome to the Tango One Podcast, episode zero. I'm Tony Smith. I'm a retired cop, tactical team leader, currently the founder of The Garage Gym and the leader of Tangle One Solutions. I'm going to be joined week in, week out with my friend, my good friend, fireman and head trainer at The Garage Gym, also an amateur stuntman, Casey Wright. Our mission is to challenge you to never settle and to guide you to take immediate action when it comes to life's problems and weaknesses. We'll be talking about our own experience as well as calling on some pretty amazing guests, including pro athletes, fitness leaders, and ultra successful entrepreneurs. We want you to use our well-rounded team of experts to discuss communication, team building, and leadership skills, as well as to lend some amazing perspective. I wanna share the habits and the tactics that I employ to mold my mindset and cause me to have a successful career in the stressful world of SWAT and now in the unpredictable world of business. These practices encompass training in the gym, nutrition, relationship development, stress, time, and money management. All together, I want you to conquer life. Fuck average, do more, and be more. This episode of the Tangle One Podcast is brought to you by our friends at Axel Films. Axel is a video production company providing creative strategies and powerful video marketing campaigns for brands. They provide creative video services for small and large companies alike, having worked with brands such as us, The Garage Gym, and the world champion Toronto Raptors. If you're a motivated business owner looking to launch a new product or service, Axel has the experience and the know-how to bring attention to your brand through creative video marketing. With Axel Films, they'll focus on your goals and use their creative storytelling to introduce your brand to the world. Axel has been with The Garage Gym since day one, and they have helped us to attract many new members and increase our overall business. Axel is an all-in-one video production service offering everything in-house from strategy concepts, writing, to producing, capturing, and editing your final branded video. Visit axelfilms.com to learn more and tell them Tony sent you. Let's go. So that was probably the most difficult part for you today, (laughs) (laughs) trying to memorize any of that. Um, So kind of first one, day one, I think the big thing today, I think we should focus just on where this all began, you know, the background of your life, where it started from the day you were, not the day you were born, but as a young age, <laughs> kind of where, where this all began and how we've ended up into this well-designed podcast room that we did. Yeah, man, this whole thing, everything right, comes from the heart. And I'm, I'm so geeked to be doing this with you and to getting our message out there to more people and hopefully helping, helping more people. So for me, it started when I was young. I was like obsessed with sports and fitness. I was always into like, you know, doing push-ups, swinging off the monkey bars, all those things. My dad was a cop. Uh, he eventually became the chief of police. He had no education at all, but he was a super avid reader. And he really pushed me to learn on my own because I was never really into school. And, you know, he was kind of ahead of his time in that like nurturing what he saw as my passion, which a lot of it was to do with leadership. So he just fed me book after book. And much like him, I started really digging the self-education as much as probably more so than I did just going to school other than the sports part. Um, I was into fitness really early. My mom was always into exercise. She was always doing little Jane Fonda workouts, the step up workouts, going to the gym. And at a young age, my dad actually built me a garage gym. So before anybody had rigs, my dad welded me up this sick rig, hung it in my garage, and I started doing pull-ups, uh, push-ups, and bench pressing all the time. My mom started making healthy food, and that really like generated all kinds of like muscle through my teens. And my dad had a real scare with cancer, or sorry, with uh, 
heart disease. And we switched how we ate my family. We started eating whole foods before this was a thing, before you were probably born, right? We started eating all those great foods that we now <coughs> preach to all of our members back in those days when we were all eating Kraft dinner and processed cheese, etc. And then uh, my mom got cancer. So it wasn't my dad that had the cancer. It was my mom that had the She actually had cancer. And that really bonded us together. And I know like from your family and from the people that you know, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Like obstacles can really break you or can build you. And I feel like my mom having cancer, going through that for such a long haul, it really just bonded our family together and gave me a love for food because I started doing all the cooking at home. It's crazy. It's crazy how things like that can kind of make or break a family too. Like we had a scare. My, my father had a little scare one summer and it was just like you kind of see how people react to it and you kind of see who somebody is my dad's talks to every single person he walks by in the grocery store which obviously isn't a good thing now but um he's just like such a positive person so when he had his thing you know going up into the cancer ward and just seeing him he was so positive the whole time he just had such a good attitude and it just gave you that peace of mind like it's going to be fine he's going to crush this thing and also seeing how that works with the people around him in that room was pretty, pretty amazing. And, you know, luckily um, to this day, he's been, he's been cleared and everything's great, but it is pretty crazy how little things like that or not little things, scares like that though can really change and alter the way a family kind of perceives what they're doing. And especially in a positive, healthy way like that is, is a good thing to do. Yeah, for sure. Like my, my mother, it just like lent me so much perspective she attacked that thing with like a smile. She was so maybe behind closed doors, there was different things, but that the influence she put out, whatever she put out to us was just positive And there was never a doubt, like we will beat this. I am going to beat this. And she never stopped saying that. And that's stuck with me through every obstacle. And that's what everything that we're going to talk about and everything, you know, all these great things we're going to do on this podcast. It's always going to be about starting within finding that problem and fixing it. So uh, shortly after high school, I started playing football, the AKO Fratman, a can, uh, Canadian junior football team, uh, arguably the best team Windsor's ever seen, we'd like to say, uh, and as I talked to a University of Windsor quarterback, but I uh, know, so we won the national championship 1999, one of the best days of my life. Uh, that Saturday, I walked off the field, a national champ, I had one year eligibility left, and uh that very two days later, Monday morning, I put on my police uniform for the first time as 21 year old cop. And uh, it was pretty incredible to work there, you know, my, with my dad being a cop, it had always been what I wanted to do. And, but I'm telling you, man, shit got real, real quick, real, real quick. Within the first few months of being on the job, my good friend and a linebacker, an all Canadian linebacker and kicker from my team, Al Stagic, uh, drowned. And my dad was actually tasked with leading the operation to search for his body. I went out there as part of that. I begged him to let me go. And I went out and, you know, seeing his loved ones and, and just being around that kind of, uh, it just hit me so much that my life at that point was never going to be the same. There's a part, a shield that kind of has to get built around you to endure that job. So... I loved right away. If you don't know, you start in patrol as a cop, which is like the cops you see driving around every day, handling all the calls, going to the chaos, and you know, also doing the normal things like dog complaints and shoplifters. But I loved it. I loved being part of the thin blue line, the camaraderie that it represented back in those days in the you know the early two thousands, uh, before a lot of these crazy rules came into place and the the over you know cover your ass type things that people are doing and the liability worries that we have these days. It was amazing. And I remember I was in uh, the lineup room, which is where they come and tell you your assignments for the day. And that day, the TAC team, ESU, we call them, emergency services unit, the SWAT team, they came in and they asked me to take part in a little project they were running. And the team leader at that time, we call him Heat. He's still one of my best buddies, a mentor to me, uh, Kyle Hartley. He came up and he did a briefing and I left that room that day and I set my goal that I wanted to be the team leader of that team. I loved it. I was just so impressed by them and by his presence and how without any rank, he controlled that room. Um, over the next few years, man, I was like a shit magnet. So we call that shit magnet in the cop world is like a good cop. Sometimes it's not a good cop because you just run into things. But I feel like in, a good cop puts him in a good position to be in to have some good luck. 
and I ran into things all the time, uh, murders, bank robberies, all these things. And I just, you know, I started to get so much more experience, so much more experience and confidence. And I trained my ass off so I could get on that team. I tried out and at the age of 25, I got a call and it was like, you're on the tack team. And I couldn't believe it. I was like the youngest guy I think ever to get on there. Uh, I might still be, or if not close. And I, was, I had only been a cop for four years and now I'm 25 years old. And I'm getting taught all these crazy skills, like all these weapon platforms, hostage rescue, negotiations, stealth tactics, camouflage and concealment. And I became, uh, my first job there was a less lethal specialist, which I loved. Less lethal specialist meant that I got to go on all these like hand-to-hand -hand fighting courses. So I got to learn some jujitsu and some other kind of, some wrestling, all these different varieties of MMA. And I also got to go and deal with like the taser and basically everything that we can use to control the situation that won't kill you. And I loved the taser. I became, a, I was one of the, the highest rated uh, ranked taser operators around. I, I trained people from all around the world on how to use the taser, which also meant that I got tasered like hundreds of times, but also got lucky enough to taser all kinds of people. One of my favorite things to do is to taser your friends and uh, because their reaction is so much better than bad guys. <laughs> Definitely. Actually, the first time we found this out later on, the first time we met was you tasering me. Right, right. <laughs> and, and not in a negative way. Uh, we were there for uh, a leadership camp with our football team at the University of Windsor. And we went and we went for a day with the ESU team here in Windsor, which was awesome being a player and getting to see this. We got to come out there shooting snipers. We were running obstacle courses. We had to do team drills with masks on and crawling through mud and Obviously, at the end, they asked for volunteers to, to get shot in the back with a taser, and I and I gleefully put my hand up and quickly regretted that decision. And that was so funny, <laughs> so funny. This guy presents this video to me like I don't know, like ten years later. Uh, pretty amazing that how the world comes around and we uh, our paths crossed again. I'm glad you put that into concept though for everybody, so they realize it wasn't like out on Olet Avenue yeah, when you're yeah. in a drunken rage. <laughs> no, no. yeah so man things got hot though quick on that team um i was on that team when the atkinson murder happened and when john atkinson was murdered he was a police officer also a former akl fratman and a friend and mentor to mine somebody who helped me to get on the police service and looked over me while i was there he was murdered and when that happened uh the chief at the time this is a couple of chiefs ago decided it was time to bulk up in terms of our drug and guns and so they like tripled the drug and gun unit but the TAC team stayed in the same size. So we were working, we had triple the, the TAC team basically worked for the drug and gun unit to help secure evidence and, you know, and secure scenes and help them for the investigations, take down bad guys so that they can interview them, all these things. So all the people that were feeding us the work, it grew, but the TAC team stayed in the same size. So we worked around the clock and, you know, we started doing uh, drug raid after drug raid at one point, we did as many drug raids as the Toronto team. Which is Not crazy. as many. I think we were like 40 short, but they have 80 guys and we had 16. So the amount of overtime we were putting in was wild. Uh, we Part of the cool thing on that team was like, I told you I love fitness. Obviously, we're owning a couple of gyms now, but we got to work out every day. I ate well all the time, but working around the clock and dealing with monsters, I was like becoming one inside. And there's a great picture, maybe we'll throw it up there, uh, of me basically living the same life as far as working out and eating. But one, I'm like, I'm fat, I'm chubby. I mean, I'm still muscular, but I'm chubby. And then one, I'm ripped. Difference was the stress. Alcohol consumption was definitely up, but the stress was huge. And how you sleep and how you handle stress and what you're dealing with can really weigh on you. And we had multiple complaints, lawsuits, court cases. I mean, we were the tip of the spear going against the worst of the worst. And there was an expectation of some of the things that we were doing. I mean, we were heavy handed and, and not wrongfully so, but rightfully so, in my opinion, doing what we needed to do to safely get the job done. But that led to a lot of complaints, which is stress, getting your name in the newspaper, you know, being charged under the police act. That's stressful <laughs> stuff. So some of those things were weighing on me. And when I wasn't working, I was drinking, man. I was drinking way too much. So obviously at this point in your ESU career, like you're probably run down, right? You guys are the front line of everything. You're kicking down doors. You're doing what you can. And in that position, compared to all first responders from, from the stories, you're, you're overworked and, 
and exhausted. Um, how did that affect kind of the way you looked at the job and did that kind of inspire you into getting higher up in the ranks? Like how did you end up tangle one? How did you become the leader of this, of this team? Yeah. So yes, the rundown thing. And it, I think the biggest problem for us was we were so close. These guys were like became and still are some of my best friends. But when you're working, you know, 12, 16, sometimes 18 hour days. And when you're not working those long days, you're going out together, you're hanging out together, you're spending every minute together. You're never out. You like we talk about rest and digest all the time in fitness. There was no rest and digest. So you weren't allowing yourself to process a lot of the shit that you saw and a lot of the shit that you did because you're just staying in that moment with these guys, right? Which was our strength, what was our weakness, which is a pretty weird thing to say. Right. So the Tango One thing, first of all, Tango One is the team leader. So that's the position we talked about right at the start of this podcast, that spot that I wanted, that I was like so respectful of and that I, I just wanted to... to Stand in those shoes one day. It's not, it has no rank. It's the leader and it's voted on by the guys. So some, I don't know what exactly happened, but there was like a surprise movement of one of the, the team leaders. He, he got another spot, like an, uh, moved to some other position uh, and decided to leave. And one of the guys nudged me and said, you know, you should put your name in the hat. And it was weird because that was always like a senior position and you know, like the guys who usually would get it would have seven, eight years on and be a senior guy. And the middle of the pack guys would would go for it, knowing that they weren't going to get it. And the low end guys like me at that point didn't didn't put their name up. So when I say put your name up, we put on the same whiteboard that we have downstairs in the gym that I write every workout on still to this day. I got the guys gave it to me when they went to the high tech uh, smart boards. So anyways, I write my name up on the board, Tony Smith under the team leader uh, nominations. And uh, not nominations, but you, you had to self-nominate. You had to tell the guys yourself you wanted it. And man, um, the voting happened and it's just amongst the guys. There's no interview. There's no anything. It's the guys on that team deciding who they want to represent them as leader. Talk about the ultimate compliment. So I get the call from my sergeant after the vote and he said, you're the new team leader. And at this point, I think I was 28 years old and I was... I couldn't believe it because I wanted the position, but I really didn't expect to get it at that point in my career. And all of a sudden, the next day, my very first day as team leader was taking down a murder, like a murder that had been unsolved for quite some months. So I was a team leader for about 10 minutes and I had to go surround a house on Jeanette and lead this big operation to get out two murder suspects who had, you know, tortured and killed somebody out in the uh, in the the Richmond and Walker area. So talk about, you know, learning from a fire hose or drinking from a fire hose. <laughs> and that position was just incredible. Being a young guy in that position, I think is part of what's made me successful throughout the rest of my life. Because when you're the real senior guy, you could th just say like, hey, Casey, you go do that, go do this. You know, in the old school days, especially back then. But I couldn't do that. Because everybody on that team was senior to me, pretty much. So I had to be really uh, political and learn my way and manage up, I guess, in a lot of ways. Right. Had to really earn the respect of your, of your peers, right? But it definitely shows a lot because you could almost take that into like sports and teams. Like was been on, been a part of a lot of teams in my life. And seeing that kind of on the inside is you see a lot of people who kind of, they earn their spot because they were there for so many years and they have that rank when you know the team's not always on board with that so if you take that which i think is a great way to do it how you guys picked your leader through the su you had the peers themselves you know they're picking who they're going into battle for they're picking who you know is running their team and, and leading them into that battle i think is such a more positive way to kind of run a team and to really pick a captain right so i think that's pretty incredible and definitely getting that honor from your your peers especially it's got to feel good from guys older than you um, teaching yeah. how to do that um being in that leadership role now so now you're a young guy you might have a little bit different perspective on the job and that new era kind of way to how you would 
run the job or what you might think might change things like being in that leader position after a year or so you start to catch a rhythm with it how did like what did you change do you think or what did you start to implement that you didn't notice before or how did you look at the job differently than the guy in front of you did yeah so the first thing i learned was like the whole idea of saying i don't know you know and i I still to this day you hear me say it in here all the time i don't know let me find the answer let's find somebody who knows the answer somebody with some experience so all the time i was doing that as a young team leader asking the senior guys like hey what would you do here what do you think here and weighing all the options and making a decision and then yeah we were kind of stuck in the archaic you know we were one of the last teams around that was doing a a, i'm not going to bore you guys with these tactics and there might be some cops listening but doing some tactics that were like archaic and just like when you came on our team and i think that's helped me to accept this is that there's some things here at the garage gym even though we've only been five years that you're coming to me, Nikki's coming to me, Riley, you know, super young Riley's coming to me and saying like, you know, why don't we try this? And it's like, yeah, because like a lot of our ideas back then, and I think that's how I became the team leader was because I had a lot of ideas that guys liked, but was getting shut down by some of the senior guys. So that's really helped me. And we started to move along with bringing in some new tactics. One of the things that really sucked about what we did was, I mean, Back in the day, it was smaller and you knew everybody. So like when guys would try out like me, people knew me. But like as it was getting bigger, the police service and busier, we didn't know everybody who was trying out with the team. So we would just do a physical in an interview and then decide. That's it. So one of the things I implemented and with everybody on the team, I was just tasked as my project, was the new selection course, which was a five-day long hell week where we really got to know the insides and outs of these candidates. And that was like, it was awesome. It's one of my favorite things I've ever done. It's something they're still doing and I, I, they have tweaked it a million times. They've improved it. If they didn't, I'd be disappointed in them, but they've improved it. So that's where all that came from. And, you know, that's where the name Tango One came from as well. Like Tango One is the senior team leader on the tech team. And that's where this whole Tango One is just kind of became part of me. Yeah, that's awesome. And so moving forward, that, like I know some of your tactics that you brought into it or it always was a tactic and the team was working out together um but i know you went and and trained with some psychos at jim jones how did that fall into the mix here how did that start to change the camaraderie of your team and basically how you start your day and how you bring all those guys together so it's really hard to describe the whole transition in my life and like but it was, you know, there was, I, I feel like I started this bright young kid, like just like really happy-go-lucky. And then I, I, my life, although my career didn't dip, my career continued to step up. My personal and what was going on inside of me dipped. My health, I was becoming really disconnected with my friends, my family. There were people that were really, really important to me that I was shutting out. And as I moved along and up to this point in my life, I've continued to try to improve what's inside. And that was the first thing I felt that I needed to do as the team leader was to improve myself because I wasn't happy. I was, I looked in the mirror. I looked at a picture. I remember getting a picture back. I just got with Danny. We went away and a picture came back of myself on the beach. And I was like, Oh my God, I've had abs every minute of my life. And all of a sudden I had this like beer belly. I was drinking all the time. I was wearing a lot of stress. You know, and, and I was disappointed. I'm looking around my team and I'm like, these guys, we're out of shape, man. We're supposed to be the, the cream of the crop. We get paid to fucking work out. How do we, you know, we're not really, we're going through the motions. And so I started to get into this Jim Jones. And Jim Jones was my buddy, is a company, like out of Salt Lake City, famous for running the, the 300, the Gladiator movie with all those jack dudes. And my buddy Rob McDonald, but he goes by Bobby Maximus, was a UFC fighter and a Toronto cop that actually was roommates with me on a fighting course when I was doing that less, less lethal stuff. And he quit Toronto police to run his UFC career and manage Jim Jones. And him and I had reconnected and we were following his workouts. I was following his workouts with a couple of guys. And Danny sent me up there as a surprise birthday party to go take a seminar from him which was really cool, but I didn't care to be a trainer. I just like learned it. I brought it back and we started working out together. And the other team leader at the time, there's two teams, two team leaders, Mark Murphy, 
he uh, decided that we we're going to work out on Fridays together. And I was like, you know what? This is a great thing because like at Jim Jones, we did Fuck You Friday. So that's how Fuck You Friday that we just did today, here today together. So, so it was born. Yeah, and it was born, man. And it became a thing of the tag team. Fuck You Friday was a day that we got down and we threw down. And it made us better. Like you can see the passion. It makes me excited talking about it. How we acted together, how we handled situations, how we started to bond was just in a different way. And it wasn't over beers. And it wasn't over whiskey anymore. It was over fitness and health, which was awesome. Which is such a positive thing, right? And and you fall into those habits. Like when I was working up north doing forest fire, it was the same kind of thing, right? You were with your team and you're out sleeping in the woods for 19 days and you come back and all you want to do is hang out and you drink and the same habits just continue and continue and even though you're being active on the side the amount of partying or bad habits and eating and drinking you're doing just kind of shuts that whole thing down you lose that that maintenance yeah so it's it's tough to kind of it is tough to kind of redesign that and get back into you know those positive things which make you better in the job but it's funny how it plays kind of back and forth right just like, like that with me getting the team leader they kind of like basically the way i took that was this team needed they needed a change if they were willing to give me a guy at two years 28 years old the opportunity to, to to stand in front of them and represent them we needed a change and like i tell every so now doing this tango one solutions and consulting with other businesses and other coaches and you know, just, just businessmen in general. The first thing I tell them, like when they tell me their complaints about the team, I'm like, well, what are you going to fix in you? Yeah. And that's what I did. I started to fix me before I could fix the culture there. Not fix it, improve it. Because there was a great culture there, don't get me wrong. But we needed to improve it because times were changing and we weren't. And that's that's a scary thing when it comes to policing and the liability and the consequences that come with that. Policing's got to change. From what I watch on TV, criminals get smarter. Yes, they do. <laughs> so so yes, do they the do. cops, so do the habit. Um, so kind of moving forward now, you, you've got these Jim Jones certificates and um, you're doing that. You're starting to train the guys in ESU. How do you start training people outside of police force, right? You, now you found this little bit of a spark and a passion in training people and how does that go from you just keeping the guys, you know, from eating that extra burger and working out in the morning to, you know, now starting to train what we are today, hundred people, a couple hundred people. Yeah. Well, you got to see. So I was team leader for, I don't know, it was six to eight years. I, it's all blur now, some of it, but six to eight years passed between those points, right? I was probably Jim Jones started with a couple years into being team leader and now things have progressed. We had, as a unit, really become very professional. In some ways, you know, to a flaw, because it, it, uh, I missed the old schoolness, the like really like living together, like the old police movies, like the police TV shows or whatever. But uh, we started uh, teaching our tactics became the way to do things. We were so busy that we were making tactics. We had to, because we were, like a lot of these teams that were, that were teaching at the time just only did a tenth of the calls that we were doing. So we were developing our tactics on the fly. And now we were going around and we were teaching them to everybody. And I was teaching leadership and all these cool things, man. And we were, we were still taking care of business out on the road. We were running leadership camps, like what we talked about with you guys and all those things. And then one day, uh, the new chief decided that there was gonna be, a, I was gonna be tenured out. And I got my six months notice basically. In that six months, I kind of decided that, you know, they took away my passion and took away what I really, really cared about at the police department, my only goal. And I met with the deputy chief at the time. And, you know, he basically said like, oh, you know, don't be sad about this. You're going to be promoted. I said, well, you know, I'm not going to work here anymore. Why would I? There's nothing left for me to do here that I want to do. I've done everything I wanted to do as a police officer. And I think he was taken back by that. And I didn't really know where I was going to go. I thought private security back then, the, you know, there's a lot of private security jobs that are paying a ton of money. And, uh, you know, but the Jim Jones thing just kept coming around, coming around. And a bartender, of course, this always comes back to a bar when I was on that team. A bartender told me, what are you, he's paying a personal trainer. 
And I said, you know what? I got my, my training. I'm, I'm good at this stuff. I can teach you. Come by my house. And I had equipped my house, my garage with a pretty good uh, setup. And he started coming by and started training him. And then he brought his girlfriend, Jess, who was basically became our first customer, first paying customer, and then a couple more people. And then I was, you know, it just grew and grew right here in the Monopoly subdivision. The garage gym was born. It's crazy. It is pretty crazy. crazy. And then now it, it is what it is today. Yeah, they started knocking on my door like it was Fight Club. <laughs> So with that, you're training a couple people in the gym. Like at this point now, you're you're kind of juggling both jobs though, right? So you're you're working, you're still in the force, you're working people in the garage. Danny's also on the force. Your wife, she's working as well. And now you're starting to grow a family from all this. However, that happens, and uh, like that's a lot. It's a lot to go on. So what? At what point do you kind of start to? make decisions and and see where you go yeah i mean all that that we just talked about happened in this like big span but then really short span like i went from being this wild man to married with you know a kid on the way and having this gym operating out of my garage i had gone back into patrol and so had danny and she was in the drug squad previously and you know what we just started to look at our schedule and didn't like how it looked. We were gonna be working like all the time and having two days off in common. And uh, our kids were gonna have to sleep out all the time. So we made a kind of a plan in our head. Like, hey, what if we can start training people a little bit at a time? We can give up one police salary, continue to fund the gym and grow. And that's what we did. Uh, Bron- or, sorry, Colton was born. Danny uh, started getting her Jim Jones certifications. So. Just after leaving the TAC team, I finished my Jim Jones certification, level three, which is the hardest thing, harder than any selection course, any hell week I had ever been through. I got that certification, became the only one in Canada. Danny then became one of the first females in the world and the only one in Canada. And she started, uh, even with a big pregnant belly, training people, and it just kept growing and growing and growing. And all the while I was back in patrol and we had switched to 12 hour shifts. And man, I am telling you, a lot of these business coaches want to say, don't grind, man, don't grind. Fuck that. At the start of every business, I cannot imagine how you could succeed without grinding. And I was grinding to the point where like I fell on the floor one morning uh, after cooking, th- not one morning, one after it was a morning for me because I stayed up all night on midnights, uh, had my family over for Thanksgiving cooked them dinner, went upstairs to change out of my smoky smelling clothes from the barbecue and fell over. And that was the wake up call to like, oh, we need to fast forward this thing or hire somebody to run the gym. Yeah, that's definitely a lot. Like, and that's a big thing, like managing all of that. Um, so one thing I think kind of to bring up, but we'll definitely talk more about it later. So working with the mental side of things and right now you're, you've got a lot going on. <laughs> You got two jobs, a business on its way, a wife with kids coming, and there is so much mentally on the table there, right, and stuff like that. And and I could bring this up because you have been very open with it, and and at times you struggled with PTSD, and I think that's a a topic on its own that we'll get to a yeah. whole another day, right? But what were a few things like at this point now? You're coming near the end of your policing career, you're starting this gym thing. What were some things that maybe looking back at you, you were doing wrong that you've, you've learned, learned coping methods now or, and some things that you can start to wish you did that people could do in that situation now? Right. So the whole time through this, I worked on fixing myself. And one of the first things that I did to fix myself, which I've learned was a mistake and I hope that some cop or it doesn't have to be cops it doesn't have to be PTSD but somebody here listens to this and I started avoiding the triggers I stopped watching TV not that stopping watching TV is bad by any means but get the you know I actually stopped driving into the city I didn't go to Windsor it, it, it would stress me out it would build anxiety in my chest that I can't even describe I stopped doing all kinds of things I, I really cut down on my alcohol and I stopped um, reading the newspaper. I don't, I don't read the newspaper, I didn't read the news. All to avoid, I found movies was one of the worst things to, to trigger off a real bad night for me. And um, 
those things just kept building and building and building. But I never went to get help. I never went to get help until recently, like you said. We can talk about that a whole other time. But when I went back to patrol, and people think SWAT is crazy, and I hope the patrol guys are listening to me. When I back, went back to patrol, one, it was nothing like what I had left. There were so many more rules. The camaraderie was down because of the shifts. The shifts. And it was insane. When you go to calls as SWAT and ESU, as we call it, you're prepared. You know what you're going to. You've planned for it. But when you go in in patrol, you're going in. You and the guy next to you, very little plan because you don't really know what you're walking into. And shit got crazy. My shit magnet, uh, the, the, you know, the term that they'd used for me was back. When I went back to patrol, I walked in on a murder. Not many people have done that. I had a guy slash his throat in front of me. I worked 13 shifts in a row where I saw a dead body. And I know for sure there are sergeants listening to this that have done way more shifts in a row like that. I had to ram cars off the road. I pulled a jumper off a balcony after a 14-hour negotiation. It was insane. All the while working the gym and not sleeping definitely plagued into my mental problems and the things that plagued me right up to six months ago and that I am nervous to this day that will come back. My anxiety was at the all-time levels and I had to make some changes again. And that's when I decided it was time to walk away from that job. I had to take that uniform off. Which is awesome. And yeah, I think I think that might come up later is like there's definitely so much involved with that and, and I think a, a great topic maybe in the future. But for people listening now, like what could be like we always talk about immediate action plans, right? Say someone is listening right now and and having those stresses and anxieties, like what would be your go to one paragraph, like immediate action plan? Like what is something for people to do? Something people, if they need that immediate help, like what would you recommend like right away? What are some strategies they can do? Well, I don't want this to sound like it's the bad way. But if you think something is wrong with you, something is wrong with you. And there's nothing wrong with something being wrong with you. Does that make sense to you? And that was like my biggest hiccup in my head. It honestly wasn't, I wasn't really worried what fucking people would think about me. I'm a pretty confident guy. I was more worried that there was nothing wrong with me and I was going to go and they're going to tell me that. I don't know that that even makes any sense. So if you're really thinking that there's something wrong with you, there probably is and it's okay. Go talk to somebody. Everything I've ever done in life, I've had to get a coach for. Why on earth I thought that seeing dead bodies and slit throats and dead children wouldn't fuck me up and that I didn't need help to get through that is beyond me. It, it, it seems caveman-ish to me, but that's the way it was. And I know that there's going to be people listening to this podcast and I know I have friends that are in the same boat. And that's, and that's good. And that's amazing to like admit things like that and, and people going through that. Like it's good. It's good to know and good to know it's, it's normal to not normal, but people in that situation, like sometimes they think that they're such a rare individual, right? Going with these stressors or thinking one aspect of it's weird. It's, it's definitely not. And that's great to know. I think great advice for people to just, you know, reach out right away. Um, so moving on through that all, like now you just, you're finishing off here. You've talked about the near end of your policing career. You've started training people in the gym, right? So now you've got two people, five people, 10 people showing up at your door. At what point is it starting to click? What kind of light bulbs are going off in your head that maybe maybe I can turn this into a business and, and start to you know, train more people than my garage can handle? Hey, this might actually become a business. Like You obviously have a passion for it, the passion for training people and, and helping people in that way. When do you kind of make the decision like it's time to it's time to open a gym? Yeah, so in my head I knew I was coming towards the end of the policing career. But we were still, I don't know, a year and a half out when we were still at my house. But we we talked about that with Danny and the the schedule. She was on maternity leave, right? Which is the great thing about this country. I know we'll have some American listeners that won't get this, but a year, right? A year's grace after to have a baby. 
she put in, she got another 90 days extension onto her maternity and then put in for another one. You know, we knew it was a shot in the dark, but uh, she put in for that one and got denied. And at that point, you know, we had 30 people come into our backyard. And if you rewind one year, this building that we're sitting in here right now doing the podcast, Danny and I had walked through. We walked through it with my good friend, Dave Haas. You know him. He's one of been. He's been, even though he's like been one of my best buddies forever, he's also been a mentor in business for me. So him and my realtor, Ty, we came in here and we walked through and I was like, what the fuck? But I really believe in like going and having that vision. So like I talked to you guys about like, you know, like go and eat at a right, nice restaurant or get the nicest hotel and just feel what that's like. And like, then you're going to get yourself back there. And that's what we did. We came in here a year before and we we're like, this is, place is too big. How could we ever do this? And then all of a sudden we got 30 customers who are like, man, we can do this. And uh, we we signed this place. We signed it and uh, signed the lease for whatever years it was. And Danny sent back that message when she got denied from maternity. She's basically like, you know, I quit in a really respectful way. And uh, she started working this business. And the second Danny started working this business, and we haven't spoke much about her in this podcast, but she has so much to do with everything. My success, my my ability to like recover from some of the things that, that I've gone through and just like the support all in all. But when she's the one who took this business and grew it because she walked away and within you know 30 to 60 days, I think our business went up like 30% which just goes crazy for all you entrepreneurs listening to think that focusing laser focus on one thing, you know, the kids, obviously she was focusing there, but like from professionally, it was just the gym and it grew. And then a year and a half later, I broke my ankle, which is a weird thing. I broke my ankle and we went through, I went through a shoot. There was a shooting in the police department and then I broke my ankle and it was, so it was a couple of events in a row. And when I was off with my broken ankle, I kind of thought I'd miss being a police officer. I didn't miss it one bit. In fact, I dreaded going back. So when I went back, all I could think about was quitting. And one thing led to another. I again applied for a leave. Uh, I won't even get into what happened with that because it, it's the one thing, the only bitterness I have towards the police, the police station was that. I got denied my leave and I quit. And the same thing happened again. Within 90 days, this business grew 30%. So this, having that focus and having that passion and living it just grows, man. Fire catches, right? Fire spreads, like you know. Yeah, definitely. But that's amazing. And and so now it's it has grown to, what, over 350 members now in, in two locations. A second location opened in Kingsville. You know, things are moving. The last while we've got a whole online <laughs> yeah. online yeah. presence, which is which is amazing. Um, and then yeah, and then it's from there was now you've got more and more clients coming in and the next step here is basically, you know, building your team. And I think one thing from personal experience being a part of all this is is seeing how you've you've built a team and I can see some of the tactics you you have from your past and and through policing and ESU, how we bring it into the business, right? Like I see we one we're sitting in our war room right now, right? We've got the whiteboard on the wall. We've got this the big dark table, you know, dark lighting. It looks like someone's attic, which is <laughs> which is great. But you know, just the way you approach the business in the way of like we have we have one hour to get this meeting down, right? Yes, we're not planning on breaking a door down and running upstairs to catch somebody, but we are planning to, you know, be successful to launch the next program to to implement these new ideas within the company. What what lessons really stuck with you and what lessons have you been like trying to build on from being a a team leader and a SWAT guy into now being a business owner and and creating a team and how did those how do they kind of intertwine as, as one big full circle? Now, this is the best, this is the best part. This is the part that I'm so passionate about. This is why I wanted to do this podcast and do it with you, honestly, was that um, the perspective. I gained so much perspective. You know what? At the end of the day, the decisions we make, nobody will live or die right from them immediately. 
right? <laughs> I mean, if you let yourself go over life, yes. But like the point is that I think a lot of people don't have perspective on their problems. And I think policing lent me that. And not to say that my problems were higher than yours, but a lot of people that houses that I was going to, they were. You know, they were life and death and they were dire, you know, positions. There was poverty. There was all these terrible things. And the most customers that come in here, they don't, you know, they don't experience that kind of stress, but they feel like they do. And that's where we try to lend perspective to it because stress is perceived. You know, me seeing a dead body can be the equivalent of somebody being late heading in their memo to their human resources, right? Like, because yeah. it's perceived. So we really try to lend perspective on pe to people. And like from growing this culture in this gym, it's that team is everything. Your team is everything. And you need to be constantly trying to develop leadership. Because one of the things that happened when I was going, and one of the biggest mistakes I made on that tag team was I acted like I was gonna be there forever. And I really, really regret that. If there's one thing I could go back and fix, it'd be that. It'd be that that six months was the only time I really tried to like make somebody else into a team leader. I should have been trying that every single day. And I think from the moment you walked in here, the moment Nikki's walked in here, Steph, even my wife, Danny, I am trying to make it so you guys have every single quality that I think is necessary to lead this team. And when I say team, it's not just people work here, it's the people that come here. Every single person is part of this team. The other thing I really learned is you can only control what you can. And we have avoided this COVID thing, you and I speaking about it for a purpose, but it, it happens here. It's like control what you can. We could not control what happened there. We can only do what we can, how we react, and then we move forward. And that's all we've done here. And that's how we've treated everything. There will be fuck ups all the time, all the time in business. And we have had so many. I've had so many in everything I've done, but it's done deal with it, move forward and focus on what you are going to do, not what's happened. Yeah, definitely. That's amazing. And things like that I can definitely attest to is, is one thing you've, you've built around here is that culture, right? One culture with, with our team, I think is incredible. One thing that we have the opportunity to is, yes, you are, you're the, you're the boss, you're the head honcho here, but you've given everyone their, their projects and, and you come to me for questions for, for certain aspects of the job, right? You go to Nikki for certain questions for the aspect of the job. You give us that kind of leeway to, to be creative and work on our skills, right? Like you, I still teach you how to turn your computer on some days, this right? Morning, yes. so, so you allow <laughs> us to kind of run with what we know. And with that, everyone's got their own identity and the business just kind of thrives through that, I think, and, and giving, you know, your employees that, you know, confidence, but also giving us the tools and, you know, support to do these things, I think is incredible and a great way to run, run this whole business. And I think we have been, you know, knock on wood up to this point, quite successful doing it. Um, and one thing too, like I definitely just admire about this entire thing is, and how you went from policing to um, to being a business owner at the gym is is I think they they have a lot more connection than you think in the way of when you were in policing, you went into it with the sole purpose basically to help people. Right. You wanna you wanna save lives, you wanna run into that building, you wanna, you know, same thing with fire. You wanna run in that building, you wanna pull someone out, you know, ten years down the line, you want them to stop at your house and thank you and say how much you changed their lives and you know just help people and even though now you're not sitting there with a gun or you're not you know running into a house during however many horrid situations you're still changing a lot more lives than you think right and we thankfully get it all the day is people you know sending in messages that you know you never know even though you're a whatever class individual you can be struggling just as much as someone who, who is, you know, lower in that. And so the purpose has never really changed kind of in your values. And you went from, you know, saving lives on the police car to now, you know, saving lives every day in this gym. Um, so I think it's just incredible and, and it's exciting to be a part of all this stuff right now. 
Yeah, the mission has always stayed the same. The platform's changed, that's all. And you know, you can really make a lot of assumptions by looking at somebody. It's not just the person that's lost a hundred pounds. You know, we have a few of them here. I have, uh, quite a few of them here. It's also the people that like, you know, there's some people that if you look at them, you're like, man, that person is in great shape. But when we get messages about changing their mindset and how this gym helps them to deal with their day-to-day stresses in their lives, that's the biggest, that's, that's like getting a trophy every single day. And I, I really firmly believe like you're a first responder. I was a first responder that all of us get into this for that very reason. And equal reasons I quit because of my, you know, what was going on inside of me, but also because like the world of policing changed. It was very hard to feel that, that reward of helping somebody. And I'm telling you this gym business for all the trainers or, you know, gym entrepreneurs that go here or other entrepreneurs, you are affecting people's lives. And that is the greatest thing you could ever do, especially, well, obviously if it's in a positive manner. (laughs) Absolutely. And it's all about that that positive kind of reaction you get. It's it's so amazing, like running through, I look back on like the games and like when we run our garage gym games and things like that, when you see somebody like hit a personal barrier and run through it, it is the most joyful thing you can, you can yeah. surround yourself in. And yeah, I completely agree and it's great. Yeah. That's it. Let's do this, man. That's the end of podcast number zero, episode zero. We so, dreaded this thing. We got it done, and I can't wait for every single one to come. So hope you guys are ready. Give us a follow. Give us a like. All those things they say on every other podcast. What are we supposed to say? You guys know it by now. Just thank all our do all those things. Thanks to all the sponsors. That are coming soon. <laughs> yeah, talk to you guys soon. Good. That's a wrap.